Well, good morning, Radiant Church, and what a delight to be able to uh, dive into God's Word together. And I want for you to know, kind of right off today in our series, Radiant God, Grasping His Greatness, today is kind of a bit of a turning uh, in what we're doing and where we're going with that. So in many ways, today's sermon is, is, is maybe not your typical sermon, if I would term it that way. It, it's kind of a, a, a moving us into something else. And why am I saying it that way? Well, because as we've been so far studying about who our God is, we've been studying about our uh, uh, triune, eternal, self-existent, self-sufficient, all-present, all-powerful, all, I just forgot the next one, uh, um, all-knowing, creator, unchanging God, uh, we have been like sitting there looking at him and, and like all eyes focused straight at who our God is with all of those aspects of who he is and, and, and just trying to get a bigger, bigger grasp of who our God is. Now, we're going to continue grasping who our God is and his greatness but it's last Sunday that, that puts a dynamic change into what's taking place. And last Sunday was our God is creator. So uh, our eternal triune God from eternity past creates. And, and in that creation of earth, of the heavens, of the uh, galaxies of you and I, we now are essentially asking this question, maybe without even knowing we're asking this question. How then does the God that we've been studying, the God that we've been grasping, how does that triune eternal God now relate with us? There's a dynamic. Creation is the dynamic that makes a change in kind of our seat. Now we are not just going to be solely focused on the Lord. We're kind of got this creation off in the corner of our mind of what's taking place. And now how does that God relate? So everything we've been talking about so far is who our God is. Now, as we move from here, we're going to be talking about how our God is sovereign, our God is faithful, Our God is long-suffering. Our God is just. On Easter, we're going to be talking about our God is loving. We're going to be talking about our God is merciful. Our God is gracious. Our God is jealous. Our God is good. We're going to be doing that on Mother's Day and then finishing the series a week after on our God is radiant, kind of, and summary it up. Well, if if you take a look at those, uh, those truths of who our God is, those begin to have to do with how God does relationship with creation. Okay, so we're doing a bit of transition from sitting fully focused on God, nothing else in the picture, to now sitting and we kind of out of the corner of our eye, we're seeing this God relating to creation. You with me on that? So out of that creation, we come into what uh, you can see in your sermon notes page, our God is covenant maker. And this, I believe, is a key transitional uh, understanding of what takes place. Because our God is covenant maker, I believe, as we'll see here, not only has it been who God has been from the very beginning, and who God is now, and who God is in eternity, but all of these attributes that we're going to be grabbing a hold of who our God is have relationship to do with God's covenanting of himself to those who covenant themselves to him. 
Now that word covenant, we're not used to hearing that terminology. So a, a few things related to that. One is, uh, I just want for you theologians to know, I'm not talking about covenant today in a theological framework. I'm not talking about covenant theology versus dispensational theology. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, fantastic. Okay, I'm not talking about it in that way. Uh, I'm, I'm also in this, I'm not going to be going into the elements of covenant, unlimited, limited signs, all these kinds of things. That, that's not where I'm going. I'm just going very simple today in understanding this as we turn this corner. The God of who we have been studying, our triune, eternal, self-existent, self-sufficient, all-present, all-powerful, all-knowing, holy, forgot that one in the last time, holy uh, creator God, He does relationship with us. And he does it through covenant. Now, we're not used to hearing that term covenant very often. And I'll maybe say it this way. We in our culture and as humans, we understand casual relationship and convenient relationship. I don't really think we particularly in our culture understand covenant relationship. And that's why I'm diving on it today. We know casual relationship, we know convenient relationship, but we are pretty weak at understanding covenant relationship. This last week, um, if you're wondering why your sermon notes page has nothing on it, it was a crazy week. Um, <laughs> a little transparency there. Um, late Wednesday night, I'm coming back on a flight uh, back home and uh, get on the plane at Southwest. You know how that works. If you've flown to Southwest, it's, you know, everybody lines up in those by their number, and then it's like, go, and you pick your seat, and it's like a rumble. And uh, so I'm ready for the rumble, and actually they told us the plane's not very full. It was about half full, which is always a delight. And so pretty much everybody's planning aisle window. And so I come in, I'm about fifth row in, and sure enough, there's a seat over by the window, and gentleman's sitting here, and I'm like, hey, does anyone have that seat? He's like, no, go ahead. And so I come in, I sit down, and I'm there, and he turns to me, and he just says, so you've ha have you had a, a good day today? And I'm like, oh, man, no, no, not one of these. Uh, okay, just being honest, being honest. It's 8 o'clock at night. I've been in meetings all day long and all day of the day before traveling. I won't get home till midnight. And, and actually, it turns out this dude was the most fun guy to sit and talk with, just a little bit about him. He's, uh, he's from India. He's Indian. He, he came to America uh, when he was getting his MBA at Michigan State. And um, in that, he met his wife, and uh, they have an eight-year-old daughter. Uh, we're talking through things, and I'm asking, so what, you know, what, what do you do? And he says, well, I head up a major portion of Amazon out on the East Coast. I'm like, whoa, dude, man. And he, so he's like 40 years old, if that, maybe early 40s at the most, and and uh, so quite, quite an accomplished young man. And, and then we're talking about that. And, he, and I said, so I, I was joking. So have you ever met Jeff Bezos? And he's like, yeah, actually I have. I have dinner with him a few times. And he's worked out some of the things. And, and I'm like, oh, talk to me, man. Just talk to me. Like, I, I just, you know, wouldn't you be? Wouldn't you be? And so he's telling me, he's like, man, he even was out on the, putting boxes on the thing and all this kind of stuff. Anyway, so we're talking this through. And, and, uh, and then he says, so what do you do? I, yeah, you're right. 
You know, it's always one of those things where it's like back in my days, I, business, I was like, fine, no problem. But, but nowadays, it's when you, when you, I just wish, I should just say like, I'm a plumber, man. I'm just a plumber. <laughs> Uh, it's like, so I'm a pastor, and and it's always interesting. People have no idea what to do. But this guy, he just was like, no skip. He's just like, that's awesome. He says, I'm a Hindu, and coming from India, and so we talked for a little while in relation. It was just a delightful conversation. All of that, getting to this point of this. I said, so any plans this summer? And he's like, yeah, we're actually going to be going back to India, because it's my parents' 50th wedding anniversary. I'm like, whoa, that is awesome, 50 years. And so knowing a little bit about uh, uh, Indian culture, uh, I was curious, so I just kind of termed it. I said, so uh, tell me about how your mom and dad met. And uh, he said, well, here's how it went down. They met for two hours before they got married, two hours was an arranged marriage. They didn't really know each other before. Can you imagine that? Two hours before they got married. And they have been married now 50 years. Uh, And then I'm coming back and processing this and I'm working on the subject for today. And I'm like, that is one of the best human examples I've ever heard of of what a covenant relationship is. We don't really even know each other. But we're entering into covenant by agreement. And it has enduringness to it. And when we hear about that, we're so shocked by it because we do relationship by convenience. We do relationship by casualness. We don't really do relationship by covenant. And I fear it's the same in how we approach the Lord. So let's talk about this idea. Our God is covenant maker. A couple quotes. I'm going to have a number of quotes today, a couple of them. First one is Peter Fink. Uh, Peter Fink, plus his last name. It says, uh, The relationship one can enjoy with God is a relationship that is established by God. It does not arise from us. And by the way, that should be making sense as we're going through this series because as we take a look at who our God is, we should be in this realizing that it's like, oh Lord, oh God, you are so far beyond, so far above, you are holy, you are set apart, all-powerful, all-knowing, oh, I can't even compare. Now listen, the reason I brought up the Jeff Bezos thing is, like, I thought it was awesome that this guy knew Jeff Bezos, and and then later this week, I'm sitting here thinking, I should have topped that. Well, I want to tell you, I have a relationship with God, in that whole thing. And in this, when we look at who our God is in that, we should be looking at that and going, uh, how is it that we little fallen, sinful, we casual, convenient relationship people can do relationship with God? How can that happen? And that's exactly what Fink is talking about. It does not arise from us. How amazing it is. It comes from God, as we'll see today. Another longer quote, Wayne Grudem says this, covenant relationship reminds us of the fact that this relationship, including the commands of obedience and promise of blessing for obedience, was not something that automatically occurred in the relationship between creator and creature. God did not make any such covenant with the animals that he created. For example, 
Nor did the nature of man as God created him demand that God have any fellowship with man or that God make any promises concerning his relationship with men or give man any clear directions concerning what he should do. All this was an expression of God's fatherly love for the man and the woman he created. Moreover, when when we specify this relationship as a, quote, covenant, it helps us to see the clear parallels between this and the subject, I'm sorry, subsequent covenant relationship that God has with his people. So here's what I want to do. I want for us just to take a look at this. Today's kind of a transition. Let's see our God as covenant maker. And in doing that, I want to take us to uh, six sections of scripture just to see it. That's what today is about. Let's just see this on who our God is. So the way this series has been going, usually when I start out, where should we probably be opening our Bibles to? Genesis. Genesis 1. No, let's go 2 today. Throwing a little curveball in there. Genesis 2, let's start there, and we're just seeing a story, friends. That's what today is about. I want for us to understand our God and who he is and everything we've been studying. When when creation came in, take a look at how our God does relationship, and I'm going to begin with this. Our God is covenant maker in the beginning with Adam and Eve. Genesis 2, let me read verses 15 and 17. It says this, the Lord God took the man put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, Adam, saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat it, you will surely die. Doug, I don't see the word covenant in there. Why are you bringing this up? Well, take a look at the text. You see in the beginning when God is talking about how this relationship is now going to unfold, how Adam and Eve uh, are going to be living, you see this covenant taking place, this, this uh, covenant, this relationship by agreement. It starts out, you may, you see that? Uh, Adam, you may uh, eat of uh, the, every tree of the garden, and then, but there's a condition, but you may not eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. God is laying this out. And out of that, and it says even in the condition of it, for if you do, you shall die. And uh, know this, that the word covenant isn't in here, but Hosea 6, 7 says, but like Adam, they then transgressed the covenant. So it's this idea here, it has all the workings with Adam and Eve. There is this covenant that's set up. There is this relationship by agreement. Adam hasn't said, uh, Eve hasn't said, hey God, how about we cut this deal? That's not how it works, friends. It doesn't go that way. Well, I want it to be that way. Yeah, but here's the thing. Take everything we've been studying and remind ourselves the triune, eternal, self-sufficient, self-existent, all-present, all-powerful, all-knowing, holy, creator, God. He wins. He gets to establish what relationship looks like because he is God and we are not. And that's what takes place here with it. And so you see in the very beginning, uh, this covenant maker God, Michael Lawrence says this, this is the initial covenant made with Adam in Genesis 2, 15 through 17. As Romans 5 makes clear, he, Adam, entered into that covenant as a representative of the entire human race. Its blessings or curses uh, would fall on us all. 
The blessing was implied, the promise of eternal sinful, sinless life. The curse was death. The stipulation was to refrain from eating from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, as well as working and guarding the Garden of Eden. In Genesis 3, Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve's loyalty to God was tested. Well, I don't think it should have been done that way. Well, here's the cool thing. You and I are not God. And, and in all honesty, there comes a point where you and I have to admit that. Because at what point in time are you and I willing to fuss it out with God? Because know this, we lose. And God has not done anything that is not perfect or that is not holy or that is not right. And in this, God set this up. God began it that way. And it's not a contractual agreement where there's no love going on. This is a loving relationship. And yet God has put parameters in it and established the relationship of it. Our God in the beginning with Adam and Eve. Let's go to another one. Our God uh, is the covenant maker in the rebooting with Noah. I'm calling it the rebooting. Turn to uh, Genesis chapter 9. God kind of reboots Everything on the earth, following the flood, uh, it would appear that God could do it any way he wanted, right? I mean, he could reconsider it, he could restructure his relationship with mankind any way that he wanted, and yet instead, uh, what God does is he doesn't re redo it in a whole nother fashion, he actually reinitiates the same renewal of covenant relationship. Let's see it here. Uh, Genesis 9, uh, verse 1. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, this is following the flood, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. That's what God said to, the, uh, to Adam and Eve in Genesis 1. Uh, go down to verse 8. Uh, then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you, and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, every beast of the earth with you, as many as came out of the ark, it is for every beast of the earth. I establish my covenant with you, that never again shall all flesh be cut off from the waters of the flood. Never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. Verse 13, it's the rainbow. Hey friends, know this. That in those times when, when the way God has created things and established things here and initiated and even carrying out the sign of this, when you and I see a rainbow in the sky, that just isn't like, that is a cool freak of nature. Listen, understand this, that is God continuing carrying out his covenant that all mankind can see that he won't do the reboot again, okay? It's not just a science thing, it is a God thing in what takes place with this. And God is the one who initiates, you see this? Uh, God establishes a covenant. God puts it into place with what's taking place. In verse 17, God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I establish between you. It's a covenant. It's not a casual relationship. It's not a relationship of convenience. God is not saying to Adam, God is not saying to Eve, hey, you know what? Or to Noah, hey, hey when it's convenient for me, we'll do life. When it's convenient for you, we'll do life. 
Hey, you know what? Let's just make this kind of a willy-nilly casual thing. You do what you want, I'll do what I want, and sometimes the two intermix. Or, you know what? You just believe whatever you want to believe because, you know what? That's okay with me. I'm a God who I don't know what I am. I mean, that makes no sense, friends. That, that is not how it works out of Scripture. God initiates relationship every time. How cool is that? And God is the one who sets covenant, not casual, not convenience. Aaron Chalmers um, said, did I already do that one? No. The Noahic covenant, including the various divine promises which accompany it, guarantees God's commitment to creation, and in particular, the preservation of life on the earth. While the other covenants focus on the fate and the fortune of the elect people, the Noahic covenant sets this more precisely defined concern within the broader context of God's engagement with humanity and creation as a whole. And here's the cool thing. In spite of mankind's continued unfaithfulness to God, our God has entered into covenant relationship. And our God does not back out on who he is and what he says and what he does. Our God is covenant maker. In the beginning, in the rebooting with Noah. Let's go to another one. In the forming of a nation with Abraham. Uh, turn to Genesis 17. Genesis 17. We're tracking the story. That's all we're doing. In Genesis 12, uh, the Lord steps into Abram's life and... Um, then in, uh, and makes a covenant with uh, Abram in Genesis 15, that, that's further established. Now in 17, let me read verses 1 and 2. When Abram was how old? 99 years old. The Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am Almighty God. If I could say it this way, everything that we have just been studied, God has said, I'm here. That one is here. I am Almighty God, walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. And then Adam fell on his face. God establishes, God initiates, God puts this covenant relationship into play with Abram. Let's go to the next one. Uh, turn to Exodus 19. Exodus 19. Genesis, then Exodus. Our God is covenant maker in the gathering of a people with Moses. We, there's a covenant, if you will, established in Exodus 3 at the burning bush. There's kind of this statement that's so cool. Uh, God makes this declaration about the Hebrews in Egypt as my people. Don't read past that text too fast and, and just understand the the commitment of that, the personalness of what's going on. God calls them my people. They're not just any people. They're not just every people, but they're God's people, these Hebrews. Uh, there's no uh, surrounding context in Exodus 3 to imply that the Hebrews somehow initiated it or earned it or established themselves as God's my people. It's not like the Hebrews in Egypt were, were kind of like, hey, hey, Yahweh, can we cut a deal? You know, can we do a thing? Can you make us a people? And, you know, and on this side of it all, we go, why did God select those people? Here's my answer to that. Next Sunday, God is sovereign, and I don't know. And I don't know. Well, why didn't he pick, like, Czechoslovakians? You know, that was random. Why didn't he do that? Uh, um, I don't know. 
But I know this, whenever I have questions like that, I come back to who God is. And he is the all-knowing, all-present, all-powerful, all-holy God, and he does nothing wrong, and he has the ability and the right to be able to make those choices in it. And here he comes in, this very sweet thing. He makes a covenant relationship with the Hebrews uh, that are in slavery in Egypt. Now they're out of that. God has miraculously brought them out. We're at the foot of Mount Sinai. Let me read verses 4 through 6. You yourselves have seen what I, God, is telling them, what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Verse 5, now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. By the way, let me just insert there. God is not saying, if you will be perfect and never fail or fall. That's not what's going on here because even God's covenant does not require perfection on our part. It is initiated by God. We'll, we'll flesh that out here in a couple. Uh, For all the earth is mine, verse 6, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. God in his uh, doing a redeeming work on earth has grabbed these people and God has initiated this relationship of what's going on. And then really the rest of Exodus is this structure of how God does relationship. Know this, when you go and you read through Exodus and Leviticus, the most exciting book of the Bible, and you know these kind of books at that time, there's a, there can be a tendency for us because the way we think and the way we do relationship to walk out of that and go, my goodness, God sure was legalistic. And I understand that and you can walk out of it, but that's not what's going on. Understand this, God in establishing a covenant with, with his people, with a nation of Israel at that time and telling out of X-19, I want to raise up a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. What, what, what fits that? God then, in a covenant relationship with them, is now telling them, listen, I want you to operate unlike any other nation on the face of the earth. You are going to be looking like a set-apart nation, not to be into yourself. You're to be priests to the world. You are to be ascending base people. And in that, God is establishing not rules of, of legalism, okay? God is not like putting it in place so that it's impossible for you and I to love him, do relationship, and bring glory to him. God is putting it in place so it's like, I want you to function like you are a people that is indeed in a covenant relationship with God so that the rest of the world would behold that. That's what's taking place as the rest of Exodus pulls out. So God with gathering a people with Moses. Next, uh, our God is covenant maker and establishing of a kingdom through David. Turn to 2 Samuel 7. You pass through, you go Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and you'll hit 2 Samuel eventually. If you get to Kings or Chronicles, you've gone too far. Come back to Samuel. 2 Samuel 7, uh, prophet Nathan. Again, we're just following the story. See, if with Adam, with with Noah, with Moses, with Abram, and now here we have with David. Second uh, Samuel 7, beginning verse 8. Now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, God is telling Nathan the prophet to tell this to David, and here's what he's to say. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep that you should be prince over my people Israel. By the way, how cool is that? Friends, 
David did not become king because David was awesome. David did not become king because David made all the right moves and choices and, and, and did the right. David wasn't made king because he even had the right personality or even the right gift set. Know this, God pulled David from managing sheep to managing a nation. God did that. God's the one who pulled him out, and that's what's being said in verse 9. And I have been with you wherever you went and have cut off all your enemies be- from before you. And I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. Verse 10, and I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them. Go down to the end of verse 11. Uh, and I, God is saying, will give you rest from all your enemies Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. Uh, Middle of verse 12, I, the Lord, will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. Uh, Verse 13, he shall build a house for my name, and I, God, will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Verse 14, I will be to him a father. Later in the verse, I will discipline him with the rod of men. Verse 15, but my steadfast fast love will not depart from him. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. Listen, God is making a covenant relationship with David here that is more than just with David because God has been from the very beginning about having covenant relationship with mankind. Not casual relationship, not convenient relationship, but covenant relationship. Michael Grisanti says, uh, God's establishment of his covenant with David represents one of the theological high points of the Old Testament scriptures. This key event builds on the preceding covenants and looks forward to the ultimate establishment of God's reign on earth. And then here a quote from Cleon Rogers that connects the promises of the Davidic covenant to Jesus. The covenant promises will be fulfilled in Jesus, who was born in the line of David in Bethlehem, the city of David, as the son of David. Jesus demonstrated his qualifications to occupy the throne of his ancestor David. And that leads us into this last item I want to note. Our God is covenant maker in the making of a new covenant through Jesus Christ. Turn to Matthew 26. We've gone from the very beginning, essentially through the Old Testament, we're now into the New Testament, and there's this this new covenant that comes into place. Um, The Old Testament predicted, and the New Testament fulfills that Christ became the perfect image, Colossians 1, that he became the promised seed, Galatians 3, that Christ is the true son, Matthew 3, and that Christ is the messianic king, Matthew 21, who entered into the world to cancel and take the place of the previous covenants. In fact, Jeremiah 31 says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. D.A. Carson adds, the incarnate Christ presents himself as the eschatological goal of the Old Testament and thereby its sole authoritative interpreter, the one through whom alone the Old Testament finds its validity. 
and continuity. Incarnation displays Christ. Listen, if I've lost you, know this. From the very beginning, our triune eternal God has been about doing covenant relationship, relationship by agreement, committed relationship with mankind ever since the beginning. And we see it here continuing with Christ, Matthew 26, verses 26 and 27. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant. Do you see that? Essentially, uh, as uh, it's termed in 1 Corinthians 11, this is the new covenant of the blood of the new covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. What has taken place is Adam, Noah, Abram, Moses, David. God has always been with mankind since creation, in this covenant-making reality with mankind. It's not willy-nilliness. It's not just casualness. It's not just convenience. It's about a covenant agreement relationship that has commitment to it, that has hold to it, that's not in and out. And know this, what God commits of himself because it's a covenant, God does. And here we come to this new covenant in Jesus Christ. John Piper says, the new covenant is not a mere possibility, it is a new creation. It is something not merely that God proposes, but something that he accomplishes. It is the creation of a people for God who will not forsake him. They will be his people. He will be their God forever. And the certainty of it lies not in them. Thank God. But in God's covenant commitment, he says that he will forgive their sins and remember their iniquity no more. And he says that he will write his laws, this time, not just on tablets of stone, but on tablets of the heart. You see, and so often what happens is, is I fear the gospel is proclaimed as a casual, convenient relationship. Do do you want a little spiritual God wiffle dust on your life? Then come to Jesus, walk the aisle. Do do, do you want, uh, are you lacking something in your life? Well, Jesus will come and he'll fill some of that gap. Friends, I'm just going to tell you, that is completely missing the gospel. That is utterly missing what is so awesome about the gospel and it is the what's so awesome about the gospel is this the eternal triune self-existent self-sufficient all-present all-powerful all-knowing all-holy creator god who is unchanging covenants himself to people who will covenant themselves to him i'm in on that I want something that has legs to it. Something where God has committed himself, not this casual, you know what, I'm feeling like it today. You know, because here's the cool thing. Even when we covenant ourselves in relationship with God, even when we are like, nah, I'm not feeling it today, 
God continues his covenant with us. And that means he is the one who has covenanted to us the work of Christ, the forgiveness of sins, full redemption, fully held, John 10, in the Son's hands and the Father's hands forever. And you and I cannot wiggle our way out of that because he has covenanted that to us. But here's the question that comes in it. Matthew 7. If you've been here for a while, you've, you know this is a, a, one of the most scary verses in all the Bible in my viewpoint. Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus makes this illustration. He says, many will come to me and say, Lord, Lord. And get this. Jesus then says, but I will say to them, I never knew you. Why? Here are people who are saying, yeah, I'm in relationship with the Lord. And yet the Lord is saying, "Um, not. It's not a rejection. It's a there's never been relationship. In our terminology today, it's this. Because those who are seeking a casual relationship with the Lord... Those who are seeking a convenient relationship with the Lord, there is no relationship. I'm not trying to be the hard guy. I'm not trying to be the downer guy. The last thing I want to have happen is anyone in this room to to be in the case where it's like, they're like, yeah, I'm Lord, Lord. But Jesus is like, I don't even know you. And the reason for that would be is because there has not been covenant relationship. There's been convenient, casual relationship. There's a vast difference. And God has always been, since Adam to the end of times, about a covenant commitment and a covenant relationship. In fact, when you read Revelation 21 and 22 about the redeemed and God uh, in the new heaven, in the new earth, and God residing with his people for eternity, know this, that's going to happen. And that's going to happen not because of you or me. That's going to happen because God has covenanted himself to do that. Friend, did you step into a casual, convenient relationship with the Lord? Because if that's it, I just, as a as someone who cares deeply, you're in trouble. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. As many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. It's not a come to Jesus and you'll get a check in the mail. It's not a come to Jesus and this week will be better than last. Can I? I'm just going to say it out there. That's heresy. That's casual, convenient relationship. That's not real relationship. That's why Jesus says, I don't know you. I don't do it that way. I'm looking for a covenant relationship because I covenant myself to you. That's what we're talking about in this. D.A. Carson adds, ultimately, the plot line anticipates a restoration of goodness even the transformation to a greater glory of the universe gone wrong and arrives finally at the dawning of a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness.
Our God, when he created, established relationship. And the kind of relationship he has established is not, he is not seeking a casual relationship. He's not seeking a convenience relationship. He's seeking covenant relationship. Have you entered into a covenant relationship with the Lord? Do you know that you know that you know by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, that you have been redeemed? That the work of Christ, of what he did for you and I, what we could not do for ourselves, it's God, I want that, and I want to enter into a relationship by agreement because of the work of Christ. If that's never been your story, I just want to let you know, today can be your start of that story. You need to talk with someone. What does it mean to know Christ in a covenant kind of a way? Well, here's what's really cool. We're finishing this time out by four people who have entered into, using today, a covenant relationship with the Lord. You know how uh, with uh, Noah and the uh, whole arky-arky thing, and the, um, the rainbow, sign of the rainbow. Baptism is what that is in the new covenant. For a person who has come to the place where they have realized that their sin are separated from God because of their sin, and that all that God has done and through the work of Christ, and he has made that available to all who would receive And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life and this life is in his son. He who has the son has life. He who she who does not have the son of God does not have life. 1 John 5, 11 through 13, he finishes with, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the son of God. That's a covenant relationship belief, by the way. Who believe in the name of the son of God may know that you have eternal life. And the, the sign out of that is baptism. Baptism in itself does not save Baptism in itself does not bring forgiveness. Baptism is the rainbow of the new covenant. It is the opportunity to publicly kind of go, I, by God's grace, stepped into a covenant relationship with the Lord, and I just want peeps to know about it. Okay? And that's what's going on here now. And we have four individuals who we're going to hear briefly their story and celebrate with them. And let me pray as we go into that. God, thank you so much. God, I thank you that you are not a casual God. I thank you that you are just not a God who's okay with convenience. God, I thank you that you are a God that is far more awesome than that. A God that is far greater than that. A God that is beyond our imagination, beyond our understanding, and yet... You, being so beyond, have covenanted yourself to those who would receive you as their Savior. What an amazing, amazing thing that is. God, thank you for that. Full grace. And Lord, I pray that just as we uh, take in the testimony of, of these four being baptized, that we would celebrate Because you have done a redeeming work in their lives. You have done a drawing work. You have done a securing work and a sealing work. And you have done a redeeming work that changes their lives and their reality forever.
and you have covenanted yourself to them and they to you. And so in that we rejoice. In Christ's name, amen.